If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Thank you for joining us for uh, Voice America's uh, and Security for All. Uh, I'm Jonathan Kimmett. I am uh, taking the guest host uh, position again today. Um, Kim is working a their last conference of the year at Houston. So I, I got the opportunity to come in and do the uh, the last show for the year. Uh, there will be some uh, replays of a couple of different shows, but this is the last live one. And it's going to be a great show. We've got a great topic. I've got some uh Great guests uh, coming in, and we're going to have some fun talking about this. Uh, just uh, a little bit of information. So the last uh, FutureCon show is going to be uh, in Houston tomorrow. So I hope everyone has a chance in that area to go there. The first show in Los Angeles for 2024 is going to be January 18th. Uh, so last show tomorrow in Houston. The next show is going to be January 18th in Los Angeles. So let's go ahead and bring on the guests and let's get into this topic. I'm really excited about this topic. Uh, it's, it's going to be one of those topics that we're going to have a variety of opinions and people are going to, there's some ethical concerns around it and, and hopefully there's going to be a lot of conversation. So here's the topic. Um, uh, I'm going to explain the topic before I introduce our two guests. So the topic is one of the biggest risks to the organization uh, that we deal with on a regular basis is employee extortion or employee exploitation. So that's taking advantage of an employee to get them to do something, to uh, social engineer them to do something, to bribe them to do something, to uh, extort them in some way where there's fear involved. And one of the questions that came up a couple of weeks ago, um, and I was actually talking to this group of people uh, with Julio and Nathan, is should we test for that? Now, we kind of do things like this for social engineering, but I really wanted to get into the deep dive because there are some ethical concerns. So uh, my two guests, we have uh, Julio Tirado and Nathan Sweeney. Um, I've worked with both of them for many, many years now, so I'll have them introduce themselves a little bit of who they are and where they come from, and then we'll get right into the topic. So let's see. How about Nathan? How do you go first? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Nathan Sweeney. I'm a principal security consultant with a company called Secure Ideas. Uh, we do offensive security testing, penetration testing, vulnerability assessments, that sort of thing. Um, I've been doing this for, gosh, somewhere between 15 and 20 years. I've uh, been with Secure Ideas for the last 11, um, based in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And uh, like Jonathan said, uh, I've worked with with he and, and Julio in a lot of different ways over the years um, and uh, looking forward to being here or glad to be here. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, Julio, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, hi, everybody. Julio Torado. I'm the Director of Internal Audit at Spirit Bank, and that's a community bank headquartered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I have been in the audit and risk profession since 2007, and it's all, almost all I've been in banking. And and uh, I, in, my, in my role, I, I get to evaluate risk and control for the entire organization, so it's all across the board. With special emphasis with cybersecurity, which is why I have a connection to Nathan and Jonathan over so many years. So happy to be a part of this conversation, and uh, thank you for the invitation. 
Yeah, absolutely. I do appreciate both of you coming on. Um, I know it's uh, we kind of started this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and and I wanted to ha- you know stop it and then have it again here for the show because I think it's a really important conversation. Now, for those of you who are watching, uh, please make sure you throw your questions or any comments you may have into the chat and uh, on LinkedIn. I'll I'll try to incorporate those into the conversation. So the very basic question is, should we test our employees to see if they're susceptible and to what level they're susceptible to exploitation or extortion? So that's generally the question. And the reason why I think both having all three of us together is we all bring slightly different perspectives. I mean, uh, Julio, you've got the audit side. You've worked in, inside the organizations for a very long time. Um, you, you you deal with people. You engage with risk. You understand the risk for the organization. Uh, Nathan, you do, you, you've worked with a lot of different organizations over the years. You've worked for a lot of people. Um, you've got a very um, a, a huge amount of experience coming in from the idea of how do we test the organization and how do we understand where their vulnerabilities are. And then my background, of course, is being a CISO, uh, being a VCSO um, or just a regular CISO and, and understanding how to mitigate that risk within the organization. So just kind of a, a beginning question is what do you think – Raw, raw question. What do you think the risk of people are to the organization versus uh, patching problems or password problems or brute force attacks or something like that? You know, when we talk about all these different attacks that come into the organization, where do you think that person lies? You know, where you at at a risk level? I'm not talking about any specific person, just kind of in general. So uh, let's do uh, Nathan. You look like you have a an answer right off the tip of your tongue. <laughs> I've always got something to say. It may not be relevant, but um, you know, I, I've always said that that your people can be your biggest strength or your biggest weakness if they're well trained, if they're um, effective at knowing, okay, how, how do I identify a potential attack, and then what do I do about it? Because um, that response is important. Uh, if you've put that effort into training them, all of a sudden now you have a distributed uh, detection network. And so it can be very, very successful. Uh, literally today, I was making social engineering phone calls to an organization in the Northeast. And five minutes later, I got an email from our from our uh, contact saying, hey, was this you? We're getting reports of these scam calls. So that's a huge win for the organization. But unfortunately, if if you don't have that training and they don't know you know, practically, actionably, what am I supposed to do? Then what happens is they become the biggest weakness because now they're vulnerable. They can be exploited. They can they can be used by the attackers to, you know, whether it's to get onto the network, to exploit code, or just to provide information, you know, all kinds of things like that. Sure, absolutely. Okay, Julio, how about you? What do you what do you think of where that person resides and that that the amount of risk to the organization versus other risks? I tend to agree with Nathan's logic, and the way that I view this in my brain is is you guys tell me, since so you guys are more deep in the weeds in terms of all the attacks and the reports of breaches, it seems to me that a majority of incidents tend to involve the human, be it because humans didn't adequately patch systems, humans didn't properly configure systems, uh, something as simple as, as 
a phishing attack, clicking a link, downloading malware. So the human is an embedded component of this entire ecosystem for, for an organization. So uh, it's, it's, it's unavoidable to say that the human human factor is, is high up there. Now, I, I couldn't tell you whether it's the number two factor, number one factor, number three, but it's certainly toward the top because there's so much dependency on humans to do stuff. And, and until we get to a point, uh, I believe, in which uh, at which organizations will be primarily automated. We're not there, and I don't know if we'll ever get there, but until that happens, we're, it'll be primarily a function of humans running tools, running technology. So I, so I yeah. think it's fair to say human factor is, is a top issue. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you in the last couple of years, you know, my focus has really changed. Um, I honestly think technology is getting better. Uh, security controls is getting better. Um, the tools that we have available to us are better, whether it be multi-factor tools or um, endpoint protection tools or anything like that. I think those are getting better um, and, and stronger. But when those tools get better, the attackers, I believe, you know, may not necessarily attack coming into the network because it may be easier to go through the human, you know, kind of what we we're all saying is why spend all that effort and time trying to attack a, a, a security control that's on the network, on an endpoint, on the server, whatever, when they can just attack the user to get in through the, the, the back way. It's not really the back way, but it's through the user's access. So, you know, I think that that's something that we all, you know, think about from a, 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 an organizational perspective is we can deploy all the tools, but we still have to deal with that, that people side. Um, and I don't, I personally, I don't like the idea of either taking out that human aspect or ignoring that human aspect for sure. Uh, because I think like Nathan said earlier, the human side can be extremely powerful in terms of uh, detecting problems, seeing you know issues, reporting issues, being that first one as an incident commander, and helping protect the organization. So I think it's a balance, honestly, um, in, in how we look at things. But okay, so I guess the next question is, from an attacker's point of view. Um, in this, you know, I want to know, you know, Nathan, you know, you've got a lot of experience coming in thinking like the attacker because of things you've done in your past. And Hulu, you've had to think about that risk side of the attacker coming in. Do you think that the attackers are going more after the human side than they are the, the technical side, the server side, networking side, whatever? And being successful, I guess that's really kind of that that second factor of yeah. they're going after it, the human side and being more successful with it. Uh, let's do Julio first this time. Well, my my answer to your question, Jonathan, is is going to be based on less the actual data because Nathan will have that information as a as a consultant and a researcher. Uh, but I, I I think I think I'm, I'm going to address this from a logical perspective. By, ask, by asking a, the question, what is the lowest hanging fruit? Fruit, excuse me. And like you said, the, the industry of technology is maturing. It's it's uh, accessible to technology professionals to to receive guidance on how to how to secure systems, how to harden the, the network, segmentation, Microsoft guidelines, and so on. So there's a lot now that I know wasn't in place ten plus years ago to secure systems to, to a much higher state, but 
we still have our people issues. We still have the vulnerabilities of of, of of memory, of being overly worked, of, uh, you know, all the training we can give people about phishing attacks. Sometimes people click, and, and that's just because of circumstances that may have nothing to do with their knowledge. So uh, my gut tells me that that by by necessity, because it's probably getting, and again, Nathan will, will vet this or not, but it's probably getting tougher for attackers. So I would think invariably the, the path of least resistance will be towards focusing on the human. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly what Julio was saying. You know, an attacker is going to take the the least challenging path, right? And and if something doesn't work, they're going to try something else out. You know, we've all heard the joke: if you're camping in the woods and a bear comes out, you don't have to outrun the bear; you just have to outrun your friend, right? Kick him in the <laughs> shin and then run. You guys want to go camping? But you know, real world, it's not like that because it's not one bear, right? We're not thinking about one attacker that's coming after us. We have, you know. Potentially, we have to consider an infinite number of attackers that are kind of come at us from different directions. And so while, yes, there are um, patterns and trends, um, you know, we definitely see social engineering types of attacks and and attacks against the people. I I think it's ramping up and it's becoming more common. Um, That doesn't mean the other types of attacks are going away. Part of that is to, to Jonathan's point that defensive controls are getting better. You know, technology is is improving and taking out some of that that um, opportunity. But one of the challenges with people is they're really hard to patch, right? Like I always call it, there's, we have vulnerabilities in our meatware that is, is really difficult, right? We got hardware, we got software, and then the meatware is the, the I like brain. That. Yeah, right? It's the guy at the keyboard. Um, you heard it here. <laughs> the problem with it is as an attacker, if I can generate emotion or urgency, or greed, exhaustion, confusion, right? Like there are things that if I can generate these in you, I can I can basically inject code into your brain and make you do things you wouldn't otherwise do, right? I think and you guys surely at some point you've clicked an email and then realized, oh crap, what did I do, right? I've done it right. and I'm, I generate those emails and I still fall for it sometimes. <laughs> And as an extension of that, real quick, before I forget, so what we we now have, which wasn't part of the conversation over a year ago, is this little thing called generative AI. So the tool that everybody's familiar with, ChatGPT, although there are many others, that that people with bad intentions can easily use and they are using to to make that phishing attack and other social engineering attack that much more believable. I I I did a talk earlier this week, and I told folks, the days of looking for misspellings through your emails as a way to detect phishing are long gone. A lazy attacker will not use ChatGPT for free, et cetera. Not to pick on that one too, but there's many variations. So it's much tougher because the tools that are providing all of us more efficiency and productivity and ability to convey creative content is also being used predictably. It's also being used by people with bad intentions. Yeah, and and the last uh, the last episode of Insecurity for All that I did was actually interviewing ChatGPT, um, which was interesting to try to interview a computer for the show, a radio show specifically. Um, but I think it introduced a lot of people who may have never used it before to some of that value and risk from a tool like that because they had never seen it. They had never maybe gotten into it or asked it questions or had it give out responses. So, but, you know, kind of back to our original premise, you know, kind of the topic of the show is um, knowing that humans might be a good target for attackers. Then we know they are, we know that they are a good target. Um, 
the the types of attacks I'm you know we have started talking about is a little bit different than the regular social engineering attacks, where you know they're trying to fish you and get you to click on something. And I and I want to keep that with a grain of salt because it's not. It's still a, so, a form of social engineering. It's still trying to get them to do things. One of the things that we talked about, and this is actually because I ran into this issue with one of my clients, is we had an, a, an employee that fell for an extortion type of attack. And I won't give any details about that employee or anything that's happened, but I wanted to give it as a, this is something that really does happen in organizations. So let's start with this one. You have a, an employee that maybe will respond to someone offering them a whole bunch of money. So let's say I walk in, I go to that employee and say, I'll give you $40,000 cash per chunk. Give me access to your username and password for 10 minutes. That is a concern. And, you know, uh, you know, Nathan, you had specifically had, you know, some, some discussion points on that. You know, when we talked about this last of, um, well, I'll let you get into it, but let's, let's use that as an example. You know, just the fact of, trying to bribe someone. So I'm intentionally targeting someone. I'm going to give them money and I want them to give me something in return. Number one, do you think that that is a valid attack that we need to think about in the organization? Number two, do you think that that would be generally uh, successful in an organization, in some organizations? Sure. Yeah, I, I think there's there's maybe two directions we could go with this, and and hopefully maybe we have time to do both. But one side of it is the you know the threat modeling of what are the potential attacks or, or what are the things that could happen that that maybe present risk, and then the other side of it is okay, what risk do these actually present to the organization, and how do we mitigate right. that or or remediate it if possible? Um, right. But to, to your point, we know this happens because we've seen it happen. Like there, there are lots of examples of this happening. Um, I'm remembering one, maybe it might've been 10 years ago now. Um, it started out as a PCI compromise. Some credit card uh, pin pads were compromised in um, Ireland, I believe. And come to find out after the investigation, what the, what the situation was, uh, some, some folks had walked up to these, you know, mostly standalone gas stations, and the attendant there, the, the attackers basically said, here's 30 grand if you walk away for an hour. And that was a, equivalent to a year salary for them. So, yeah. of course, they walked away, right? So they replaced a couple of pin pads. Turned out, once they through through the whole investigation, the whole attack was being funded by Al Qaeda to to redirect funds and steal money to fund terrorist organizations. Like that's right. that we know that happens, right? We I, I've I've sat in on FBI uh, briefings where they've talked about examples of nation states doing this with American companies and stuff like that. So there's no question it happens. Um, Obviously, it doesn't happen all the time to everybody. There's a little bit of sophistication to that kind of attack. Um, There's a lot more risk for the attacker. You have to think about from the attacker side, they're going to try to do what's the least amount of risk for them as well because nobody wants to get arrested. Um, But but yeah, we definitely know it works. So I, I think it's a valid thing to think about what is what is the likelihood of this impacting us and and what do we do about it? Yeah, and 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 I don't want to say that it's just like a nation state attack because I think that you know I, I work with a lot of clients that may be smaller organizations, but they have a very high impact and risk. If you did an analysis on them about either the information they contain or the um, 
the monetary value of the things that they have, uh, whether it's a production or mm-hmm. uh, maybe they're a midstream or maybe they're a bank or whatever. So, I mean, I, I don't want to, to get people to think this is only attack that a nation state might do because, again, this might be a um, their relative right. saying, hey, I know you work for this bank. I've got a friend here that's going to give you 40 grand to give him access to your password for 30 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it is. So that's one of the things that uh, I am as a CISO worried about is what is, what kinds of those attacks, you know, I can imagine those attacks realistically, you know, just work with a client that um, dealing with a, uh, I'm going to change some of the, the, the details on it, but basically it was a family scam against the organization so it was you know these two people plus their brothers and sisters plus their cousins plus this and that and whatever and it became a very large conspiracy type scam but i mean it was happening to relatively a small organization and it had a fairly significant uh payout or value on the other end that they got from it so uh, this happens and this happens a lot yeah absolutely and, you know, I, I can imagine somebody saying, well, but not every attacker is going to have 40 grand to go out and pull something like this off. Here's the thing. I don't have to have 40 grand to pull it off. I just have to convince your victim that I will pay them 40 grand. Right. Yes. That, that's all it takes. You don't yes. have to actually, you know, the, it, it, it's a criminal activity. So I, I, I'm curious, kind of leading to the second part of what I was talking about. And Julio may have some more guidance here. When you're when you're assessing risk for an organization, there's a lot of different possible things that could happen. Is there any, is there a standardized way that you look at it and say like, hey, this risk is you know higher than this other risk, and so you you know what I mean? Like, how does an organization decide? Hey, the 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 potential for extortion is high enough that we need to do something about it. Versus, we still have people using seven character passwords, so we need to start there. This is where it gets a little tricky. Is I remember at one point I worked at a at a company that was not Spirit Bank, and I had a discussion about just the word uh, of the definition of the word risk. And even then, talking to other IT governance folks, we weren't on the same sheet of music about something as simple as a definition. Uh, so I, I would say that it's tough in that the risk assessment process is going to have some imprecision, will have some subjectivity. So it's very possible that assuming you have the same template, the same process and methodology, three different brains may come to three different conclusions. But in, in that situation, I would say it's, it's more important that we cover, I mean, I love you guys' emphasis on threat modeling and making risk-based decisions. The, the fact that that, is, it, it, that occurring is big, whether or not something is high versus moderate to high versus low, it, that, that can get a little subjective. Uh, and again, the methodology can change. But the, to me, the, the most important thing is, are we even recognizing the risk? Are we even incorporating extortion in the risk analysis that covers many other variables? And, and as a part of that discussion, and I know both of you guys are very much aware of this, in theory, if, if you take a class on risk management, we can talk all day long about risks and controls, but there's also this legitimate issue of resource constraints. And different organizations have different staffing issues and different budgetary issues, and that's going to play a factor in making a decision whether or not to adopt, adopt a, a control, whether or not to hire a security consultant to perform extortion testing, whether or not to perform training more than once a year. So it, it's a tough decision. It's a tough process, and it may differ from company to company, but Hopefully, the fact that the conversation is being had is a significant benefit. 
Absolutely. And, and honestly, you know, when I go out and I do an audit or I do a risk assessment or if you want to do VC so hours for someone, um, that's the things that I try to bring up because, you know, I truly do believe this is a, uh, this is an attack vector that all organizations maybe don't want to think about because they want to trust their staff. They want to trust their employees. Um, and, but I'm coming in from the outside saying, yeah, don't trust them. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not that I don't want them to trust them, but I want them to, you know, it, okay, so maybe I'm looking at it from a slightly different perspective. And I brought this up to you the other day, Nathan. Um, specifically, I want to, as a user, you know, this is, I'm a data subject. Uh, my kids' information is in this organization. My, my money is in this particular bank. I want that bank or that organization to be thinking about this stuff because as a CISO, I know how easy it is sometimes to walk in and extort someone that has no ill will towards the company per se, mm-hmm. but they're at risk. I mean, they're at risk for a variety of reasons. Maybe they have a lot of date debt. Uh, maybe they're just nice, you know, and they just fall easily for um, the variety of tactics. But I don't I, as a data subject, as a consumer, as a customer, as someone who, as an organization is taking care of my information or even taking care of me, you know, maybe a security system, whatever, I want them to test this stuff. So when I'm going out to the organization, I do question that. In fact, I was at one organization and, uh, and, and my, uh, my question was, I turned around and I looked and I was like, so that person right over there, if I went and offered her, um, it was ten thousand dollars because that's the 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 wad I or the, uh, the the roll of paper that I had was ten thousand dollars in fake bills. I said, okay, if I went over and offered this to that person over there, would she give me access to her password? And one person says, absolutely not. She would never do that. And the other person says, yeah, probably. And so it was like, oh, okay. Well, what do we do about that? And that's what led to this conversation, actually, is that happened, and now we're talking about it. So, I mean, I think everything that we've talked about so far is absolutely correct. And, you know, thinking about the risk perspective of, I mean, I think we can all agree that it is an attack vector that has could have high impact, at least for some people in some positions. Um, and because it has high impact, some organizations are going to ha- have high probability just because they they're banks or they have certain kinds of information that, that might be valuable to someone, or they might be a uh, an organization that is uh, downstream or upstream from another organization that's trying to attack. Or yeah, there's a variety of things. Well, Jonathan, so, I'd, I'd be curious if you guys have ever heard of HR directors, people in that space, aware of this as an issue when they evaluate compensation. Because when HR directors are analyzing whether person X is getting above or below a median number, uh, I know for a fact they're looking at comparable positions, they're looking at supply and demand, they're looking at salary guides. Well, how much of that factors in uh, uh, the risk of extortion, particularly for certain key positions that are, are in the IT department? Uh, and I, you know, yeah. this, this is, there's, there's a reason why financial institutions uh, do credit checks. Of prospective yeah. employees, you know, we we don't want somebody with bankruptcies and excessive debt to be in charge of wire transfers. Sure. Uh, so, so this is it's a legitimate risk, and and, and uh, my gut tells me it's something that isn't thought about often enough. Well, I mean, I have two comments. Number one, I, I do ask 
if they do regular credit checks or regular back and tracks of high-risk individuals, not just when they get hired. So I do ask that in the organization. But just before, you know, earlier today, I was actually asking an HR professional about this topic. And, yeah. you know, what I asked them was if they would be willing to come on, if, if, if this becomes a, uh, you know, if everyone likes this topic and we get a lot of comments and we get a lot of feedback from the internet, um, that I could get them on to ask some of these questions, because I think there's a whole segment of this conversation about the people side that we can explore beyond even just the testing side of how do we do it from a people side or how do we test this extortion or test these things. So I agree with you. I think from the HR perspective, that is a huge thing. I think from uh, you know, checking to see if your people have, whether it's a um, credit check or a background check or a variety of things, because honestly, the bad guys are doing that too. And they're looking for those weaknesses in your employees to take advantage of them. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, everybody has a price. Like, like I've, I've talked with folks and they're like, Oh no, I would never do this. My integrity is too important. I would never, whatever. No, everybody has a price. It may be yep. 10 grand. It may be a hundred grand. Uh, I, I had a former coworker at another company that I used to work at. He said his price was whatever it would cost to buy his own Island and be able to live off the grid and not have to worry about being, uh, you know, being brought back to the state or whatever. Richard like, Branson fan. Yeah, right. But, but maybe, maybe your price is the the life of your spouse or your child. That's what I was going to say. Yes, yeah, right? yes. You know, doesn't have to be monetary, right? It, exactly. Absolutely. Everybody has a price. Where if I if I present enough pressure, you will. I mean, that's why we have the conversation about. Uh, torture not being allowed by the military because we know when people hit that breaking point, they'll say whatever they've been asked to say, right? We know that happens psychologically. So, you know, when it comes to this, it's not a question of if it will happen. Well, maybe it's a question of if it'll happen, but it's a question of what will the results be, right? That's what we need to consider is like, okay, how do we detect it? How do we try to prevent it? How do we provide options to deal with it? You know, as, as far as a responsive security control. Right. So I think that that's actually a really good lead into the actual tests. Um, Because we've talked about the fear, the fear side of, you know, I'm going to hurt your children, I'm going to hurt, you know, whatever, um, or the monetary side. So let's talk about specifically the tests that I, as a CISO, would want to understand. And you're right, Nathan, I think that there is a, there is a threshold. There is where everybody has a prize. But I think that there needs to be maybe that threshold, a set amount in that threshold of, okay, if they're willing to do it for $5,000 in this position, but that's going to cost us $10 million in risk or, you know, as a, as a, as an effect, then maybe they're not in that position or should not be in that position. Vice versa, you know, maybe, it would take $100,000 to get them over. Now, I'm not saying that that's actually a valid test because you never know in the situation. However, um, I think that, you know, from, uh, well, I want to get your guys' thoughts. We social engineer, we do uh, phishing tests and we do vishing tests and we do smishing. We do all kinds of different things to get people to click on things. Um, what about actually trying to extort employees? You know, testing to see what level they're at, you know, what would be an acceptable level at the organization to say, you know, hey, 
I'm going to try, you know, bring in a third party like a Nathan or somebody and say, I want you to try to extort them, you know, try to give them a, a certain amount of money for them to give you access or try to get a naked picture from them or whatever. So let's talk about that test. Um, not saying right or wrong right now, but let's talk about the actual test of extortion for the organization. What do you guys, do you think um, you can test for um, someone's susceptibility to this sort of extortion? Well, I'll share my quick comments in that paper to Nathan. I, I, generally speaking, I, I take the position that as long as there's consent and it isn't illegal <laughs> or unethical <laughs> when it comes to, to a security engagement, we should consider it if it's driven by real-world risk concerns. So one would think you would need consent. Just like uh, when, when I plan engagements, I make sure that the right people are aware. If I were to do a physical security pen test, meaning hire a consultant to, to get into the bank's facilities and, and achieve different objectives, security objectives, I, I'm going to make sure that not only uh, is the general counsel aware, the physical security officer is aware, and so on, all the right people need to know, and we all need to have the proper consent. Uh, but what's a little different about this, and I'm curious how you guys feel about this, is unlike a phishing email, unlike smishing a phishing, unlike uh, anybody taking control of your machine and doing something in front of you, uh, however a regular user will experience it is really my point. It seems to me that we have the risks of emotional harm if we were to do an engagement that uh, results in an employee believing that he or she is being extorted. And, and, and I I, I wish I had more insight into this as to what may come out of that. If there's legal repercussions, regulatory repercussions with regard to safety laws, the Department of Labor, perhaps. So that's sort of way outside my domain of expertise. Uh, right, right, but uh, right. that's one thing that I keep in the back of my mind. Generally speaking, it seems I would think we would want consent to, with the right people. But then, what about that safety factor? What do you yeah, think? I don't. I don't disagree with you on that emotional harm thing, other than the fact that. As a CISO, I want to know that. I want what, to know if – I want to know – I mean, I I don't want to cause harm to people for sure. Um, but I also want to understand if they're going to be affected like that and in certain positions with a certain risk You know, in that position – I may need to understand that to either implement additional controls, implement, implement additional training, or maybe move them into a different position. I, yeah, man, there, there's there's some real big challenges here. Um, you know, to, to Julio's point, there's there's I think from a civil liability perspective, it's more than just the emotional harm, right? We have to worry about, hey, if we cause damage to somebody, or let's think about if we perform a test and somebody fails what's going to happen right they're going to lose that position if not their career, oh, yeah. right yeah if they pass the test at a very least they're going to be really angry and they're no longer going to yeah. trust the organization and so there's going to be a break of trust there so i think there's some very significant ethical problems with with going down that path um sure. to your to your point i think um that's information we want to know but we wouldn't say, you know, hey, we've got this chip that we can just plug into your brain and it tells us everything you're thinking so that we can verify whether or not you would take this this act, action. Right. But 
I mean, a little bit sci-fi, maybe, maybe not too far away. If we had that capability, I think we would all agree that's not ethical for us to read all of the thoughts of our employees just to find Absolutely. out what risk they might bring. Right. Um, we're not Un- unless we're working a newer link. So that's <laughs> right, right. situation, right? <laughs> that's what I was saying. We're not that far along. <laughs> um, I think a, a, a different direction, too. I think there's some um, extortion is illegal. So how do you craft a test? And I guess maybe I'm, I'm curious if you have ideas, Jonathan. How would you craft a test that allows us to actually extort someone without breaking the law? Well, I mean, I, I think that from an organizational perspective, the type of test that we would provide would be really no different than providing them a phishing test. Would they click on the link? But it's Could not illegal I for me to send a phishing email, right? You're not actually extorting them. You're just looking for the susceptibility. And I think that that is a concern. Hold on. Uh, yeah. I, I agree. I think that that would be a legal concern that we need to evaluate. And I'm certainly not a lawyer on that. However, I think from an organizational perspective, I do need to know if they're susceptible to those tor- those types of extortions. You know, we're not actually extorting them. We're testing them. It'd be no different than maybe doing a lie detector test, um, maybe doing a uh, background check, a credit check to see if they might be a bit more vulnerable to, than other people. Um, but you're right. I think the, the legality of it is something that we have to, to think about as an industry, you know, whether or not. However, the bad guys are not going to think about that. that and that's, that's totally true. And I, and I want to, let's put a pin in that because I want to come back to that. And even if we can't agree on what testing would look like, I think there are other alternatives for education and training and stuff. Sure. But sure. The, I, I think the challenge ultimately comes down to consent. With a phishing test, uh, you can give me as a business owner, uh, you can give me permission to send phishing emails using your business infrastructure. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you as secure ideas, our, our, our uh, motto, whatever trademark is professionally evil. And we take the professional side of that very seriously. Um, right. You can give me permission to run those attacks against your infrastructure and against your people using business resources, but I can't take and, and launch those same types of attacks against their personal email, even though they're also just as likely to be successful and very likely those personal resources may have access, you know, that I could pivot or escalate privileges into back into the corporate environment. Those individual employees can't give me consent for that. And the business owner can't give me consent to go after it. So, you know, that's where we draw the line and say, hey, yes, there's risk here, but there's just no practical way from an ethical and a legal perspective to, to test that. And I think extortion falls into the, the same same bucket. Well, okay. So let me ask you, what if, um, again, I'm not going to get into the legal side of it because I'm not a lawyer and then we'd have to really explore that. But what if for certain positions, certain people in the organization that as a part of having that position, that they understand that they would be subject subjected to additional, um, vulnerability assessment. Yeah, sort of the um, annual may, HR, you sign off on this knowing that this could happen 
in some form. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I can't tell yeah. you that would be you know enforceable or whatever. But I would say, just like you do for some positions in the, in the government, that you are at a higher level because of your clearance or what you may have access to or whatever. So you kind of agree that you will be under additional scrutiny because of that. That's that's an interesting scenario. Um, I'll, I'll tell you how we approach these types of conversations internally. We we literally just had the conversation the other day about uh, smishing, so so SMS phishing against personal phones and personal phone numbers that maybe aren't tied to the business and what that looks right. like. And the the approach that our lawyer has taken is not I will tell you it's legal or it's not legal because in a lot of these cases the regulations and the laws aren't completely clear. And right. until there's precedent, it's hard to say. But but the approach our lawyer has taken is, I will tell you whether or not I would be willing to defend that in court. And so if the lawyer is willing to defend it in court, that's enough for us to, to take a step forward and say, okay, let's look at doing this. And I'll also tell you, because we're talking a lot about liability, part of the reason that we're willing to do that is because our liability insurance says if our lawyer will, will defend us in court, then they'll pay for it. And so right. right without without that uh, liability mitigation, we can't take the risk. But that combination sure. of of okay, we can be defended and not have to worry about the expense, you know, that that's something that we can maybe consider. Yeah. That is well, such a great point. So as part of the analysis of, of this, deciding whether or not to as a client have this sort of service, yes, you want general counsel, you want some form of legal support to help you make the decision. Uh, you want to ensure that it meets your, your appropriate policies and procedures and other protocols, but clearly you, you should talk to your insurance provider, make sure that your policy, your insurance policies provide you the coverage that you need, even in this situation, and, and which, which makes a lot of sense because uh, anyone who's read a corporate insurance policy knows there's a lot of content, there's a lot of conditions, and, and this could be potentially a, a type of situation that would deny you coverage. So I think that's, that's a really good point, Nathan. Could you imagine if somebody fell victim to this and they thought it was a legitimate attack and before they were told otherwise they went and killed themselves or did something horrible like yeah. like I, yeah it takes your well, model. Yeah. Think about it. <laughs> well okay and and i agree with you and i certainly you know anybody that's ever seen me present or even on this show my number one priority is to protect people you know and yeah. everything that i do the 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 difference is I think that that is a problem that we have even without any sort of testing. I mean, I've had people who have broken down, you know, they've come into my office and they've broken down because they clicked on a link in an email and they know they shouldn't have, but they were just in a hurry. So I've had people who uh, they made a mistake um, and I, well, I mean, I've told this story before, but I've had a, an employee that, um, made a, a, a very significant mistake. I had to terminate that employee. Um, this was many years ago now. Um, and I knew, I felt like this person was um, going to go hurt themselves. And, and and that was really hard for me to wrap my head around in terms of, I still have to do the right thing mm -hmm. at the organizational level. I have to help them. I did what I could. I actually did help them after the fact. Um, but it is something that when we're talking about people, uh, talking about people, human beings, that is something we have to think about. On the flip side, me as that consumer, me as that data subject, 
I want organizations to have people in those positions that are at a point that could not be susceptible to some of this, or at least a realistic view of this, a, um, a, a reasonable um, level of this uh, extortion vulnerability. Um, and, or I want those people to make good decisions. Now we, we we're, we're kind of getting up there in time. we got about 10 minutes left or so. And uh, we still need to talk about the training and, and how to help people on this stuff. But, I still think there is a level in which we need to test because I, I, I'm a CISO. I need to understand what those risks are so I can implement controls around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I agree with you about the whole personal email thing, um, you know, testing personal. But again, I, I go back to the attackers know that they can get in through that fact. We had a radio show a couple of months ago where Tanner and I were talking about all the different ways to to get into an organization through your family members, through your kids, through your spouses, through your grandparents and, you know, all these different ways, because honestly that those ways work. And I had a lot of feedback from that show where people were coming in saying, you know, I, I never thought about that attack vector. And now I'm scared to death because those I don't have any control over it. And there are some things that you can do and there's some things, the protections you can put in place to help those things. And there are tests that we do in those scenarios in terms of that, that personal aspect, the, uh, for key individuals or the organization, you know, whatever. And it does come down to consent to, to a degree and making sure that you're allowed to test those. But I think that there is a lot of risk in that, aspect well i mean think about it if i can extort a, a person in your organization to give me their password or to let me in the building at night or whatever what can i do um, and how easy is that i need to know that from a security perspective so that i can implement some controls around it um and you're absolutely right if someone falls victim to this Maybe they're not in that position anymore. Maybe they do get fired. I'm not I'm not advocating that. That's not what I want. However, I have recommended in the past when somebody did fall victim to certain things that they not have access to certain kinds of information from that point forward. Um, that's just a reality of the job. Yeah. Let, let me let me ask a quick question, which may pivot us. I think to to you. You mentioned training, etc. So unless unless this thing is illegal. Unless testing for uh, unless the testing program, including extortion, is deemed illegal, it comes down to a risk decision. It, are risks acceptable given the controls that we have in place? And let's say the organization says, for any number of reasons, no, we're not going to incorporate extortion. We're limited to tr- tr- good old fishing, etc. Uh, can an organization identify controls that are specifically designed to mitigate the risk of loss from extortion? Uh, you mentioned uh, Jonathan earlier, periodic. Uh, uh, credit checks for certain people. Uh, sure. I, I would add, you know, if, if if those 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 limits need to protocols should be determined before those checks are done because if results are identified that are not desirable, the question comes up: well, what do we do? What do we do if 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 we're seeing uh, results that are inconsistent or exceeding our thresholds, whatever those thresholds are. So we have to think deep about what an organization is prepared to do about that. But what, what are those things, what are those controls that a company can adopt to address risks that can come from, from extortion? That's a good question. I, th- I think there are several different types of controls we need to keep in mind, right? I mean, avoidance 
and is is the first one right is it possible can we identify the areas where you know the the potential actions that an employee might be able to do if they're extorted and can we find some way to limit that if we can avoid it so right. they can't even take that action you know maybe uh, right like i can't i can't uh, withdrawal a certain amount of money on my own. I have to have a second person sign off on it, right? We have right. And stuff like that. Um, then we have potentially prevention that gets a little bit more challenging, but, you know, looking for, um, I guess kind of the same type of thing, avoidance and, and prevention are very similar. Um, detection, what can we do to identify, Hey, this person is acting unusually, or, you know, can we think through the types of, of scenarios that would occur if somebody was being extorted and can we, can we put something in place to detect that and to respond to it in a certain way? Um, and then I, I think, I, and maybe this comes back to training, but giving people options. Like, I think a lot of times extortion works because people don't know what else to do. They're being told one thing and they think, I have no hope. There's nothing else I can do. I have to do this. And if yep. we have, if we have some, pro- like, I remember when I first became a parent, uh, someone else told me that they'd had a conversation with their kid and said, no matter what, if you call me and say this thing, they had some phrase, I, I may get mad. I may be angry later, but I will understand that you are scared and we'll take care of it and you will be safe yep. and then we'll deal with it later. Yep. Right. And so the child knew no matter what happened, no matter how much they screwed up, there was an option. And, and so, right. you know, it, it, in a situation like that, maybe that's part of the training just to let people know, here's what you do in that kind of scenario. Sure. And, and I think that, both of you are spot on on this stuff. And I think from, you know, working with your employees, uh, trying to evaluate what those indicators are, uh, that there might be a problem, whether it's a problem of um, maybe their background check came up and they've got a lot of tickets or they have bad credit, they have a lot of debt or whatever, whatever the, 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 the flags are, it doesn't, you know, and working with the employees to make sure that number one, they feel safe to coming and talking to someone. Um, that they have avenues to protect themselves. Um, but again, you know, when we think about the extortion tactics, sometimes it's for their benefit. I mean, they're giving them a whole bunch of money, but sometimes there's a lot of fear involved. Uh, the, there was one that was specifically, um, uh, yeah, give me a naked picture of yourself. They acted like they were uh, um, uh, someone who was very interested in this person. They got them to give them a naked picture of themselves, and they immediately turned around and says, hey, we're going to put this on your employees' Facebook, and we're going to say that you sent this to uh, our daughter. <laughs> you know, So that person freaked out because, yeah. I mean, it was a complete lie, but from their point of view, how do they defend that? Yeah. There is a picture of them floating around. And so it, it becomes really, really scary. Yep. Now, those situations are kind of, there's no good solution to any of those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if someone makes that decision to fall for that the tactic or to, to, to accept the money, whatever, then again, you've got to, in some cases, protect the organization or protect the, the data or the people involved in the organization or whatever it may be. Um, and, and I want everyone to understand, you know, in the audience that a lot of what I'm talking about specifically is high risk individuals. So this is going to be someone that could maybe transfer a whole lot of money. 
or they have access to a lot of data subject data, uh, data of their customers and whatever. Um, or they might be in charge of life safety systems or the electrical grid or there's a variety of things. This is not necessarily for every single employee. This is for high risk individuals. So that's something that, you know, we got to think about of who this might be affecting and, and, and talk about it from that, that risk perspective. So let's talk a little bit about the training um, because we've only got about three minutes left and I want to give plenty of time to cover this topic as much as we can. So number one, I think the fact that we talked to people about this and that we, you know, I honestly think the fact that we tell them that we're going to test them on extortion has a huge impact on whether or not they could be extorted because they're going to go, oh, just like with fishing. Oh, is this a real fish or is this IT playing a game on us? I mean, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's critical. Um, there's a lot of different types of training and we've all been through really boring security training, right? Here, read this material, watch this video. We hate it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think I think some combination of providing information that way, you know, live presentations where you're actually interacting with people. Um, the best organizations that I found that do this well, just constantly send out different, they use different methods, different patterns of, of sending out information to their folks. Um, it, it's hard and it's a constant thing that, that has to happen on a regular basis. Um, things like yep. tabletops where you're getting people involved, that can be useful. In fact, as yep. we've been talking, I'm, I'm building out a tabletop exercise in my head where the start of the exercise, we roll the dice and, and whoever's yep. in that seat, guess what? You were extorted. Now let's go from there. What do we do? Right. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I've got some there. I like that. So, you know, let's, so let's talk about that. Cause I've got some ideas I could throw your way. I'd love to get your ideas on that. So, yeah. okay. Julio, we've only got about a couple of minutes left. So Julio, what do you think about that? I agree. Tr training as a general rule makes a lot of sense. And I, I, Nathan's on point. How do you, how do you engage people? Uh, do do you limit yourself to a webinar that maybe 2% of people will pay attention to. So it, it, yep. the training makes a lot of sense, regardless of the topic, but especially here, I guess your, or the challenge for the trainer is to find a way to engage people. Now, I'm, I'm a little biased, but I maybe I'm a sucker for Mexican food or any kind of food uh, <laughs> when you provide training to people. So you so you engage more than just your brain. Uh, but I agree. It, it makes a lot of sense. And, and Jonathan, you're spot on. The, the fact that people expect, if you tell people to expect to be tested in XYZ, that in and of itself should be a deterrent. Yep. Guys, I really, really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. This is a huge topic. We could do this for another several hours. Uh, we had some great comments in the, uh, in the the coming in from LinkedIn, and we didn't get a chance to get to them, but they were some really good comments. We've only got about 20 seconds left, maybe 15 seconds left. Thank you so much for coming out. Uh, everyone, um, I hope everyone has a great rest of the year. Uh, we had a good time on this topic. Hope to see you next year. Um, again, tomorrow in Houston um, for the last one of this year, January. Um, I don't remember the date for the next one in Los Angeles. You guys have a wonderful rest of the day, a great rest of the year, and we'll see you guys next year. Thanks all. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.